Hello, friends. Welcome to the Thicket and Thistle podcast. This is a roundtable discussion of our favorite aspects of musical theater. This episode, we take a trip down Portobello Road and into the beautiful briny sea as we discuss the outlandish, nostalgic fever dream that is Bedknobs and Broomsticks. This 1971 Disney movie musical stars the fabulous Angela Lansbury. And for all its technical achievements, it did win an Oscar after all. We're going to talk about why this film still lives in the shadow of its more popular twin, the classic Disney musical Mary Poppins. Please enjoy the episode. Can I ask a question? Yes. We don't have to do a full hour, right? Not to say that I couldn't talk about this movie for a full hour. I was just wondering, like, we don't have, like, a time restriction of, like, having to do it. No, we could do two hours. We could talk about this for three hours if you want, Jules. And I know you do. No. I'm keeping all this in. I love it as the intro. By the way, everyone, we're talking about Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which is a 1971 Disney movie. This movie... I'm really excited to talk about today. Uh, We're talking about it because it was my turn to pick, and this is a movie that my sisters and I watched growing up. It was in rotation of the sort of Stenseth House-approved movies we could watch, and uh, I have not watched it in probably 25 years, and it is not what I remember. (laughs) So today was very interesting for me, and uh, I can't wait to hear about all of you guys. I did a little research after watching this. Kyle, we talked the other day, there was some great trivia you pointed out, and there's all kinds of weird things going on with the way this movie was released, which explains so much of why it's so bizarre. So I can't wait to get into that. Why don't we, I I said my first experience, what's everyone else's first experience, or is it the first time? I feel like I had the same thing. I mean, I didn't watch it a lot as a kid, but I've definitely seen it before because I sing Portobello Road for no reason every once in a while because I think it's a catchy tune. I can't wait to talk about Portobello Road. I just like- (laughs) It's gonna be 10 minutes on Portobello Road. I feel like I have a friend, I have a friend that we would all just always be like, Portobello Road to each other. I don't know. Anyway, the point is I didn't remember anything else about this movie and maybe I like blocked it out, you know, because it's so, it's like a fever dream or a weird drug trip. That's my experience. Uh, I'm one of the first timers. Today was my first time watching this, though I have seen Mary Poppins before. So I had somewhat of a framework going in. And that's not a total dig because it's the same people that wrote the music. And obviously it's a Disney film. Um, And we know, I'm I'm sure it's going to come up a trivia that Julie Andrews was intended to be the person. So like- And it goes in and out of live action and animation for no apparent reason. Right, right. It's like that and and Sound of Music kind of put together and then then some weird curveballs. But anyway, it was my first time today and- I got a lot well, to say. Let's let's talk about this real quick because it was written almost at the same time as Mary Poppins was being written and like put together. So all this overlap, it's a great thing to call out. I think this movie famously was shelved for a little bit because Mary Poppins was coming out and they were they were like, ah, oh, these are too similar. Mm, smart. Yes, well, the indeed. whole thing was like they were having trouble getting the rights to Mary Poppins from the author. So when they were having the trouble, they were working on this and were like, well, we'll just do this instead. Then they got the rights and we were like, well, fuck this movie. We're going to do Mary Poppins is <laughs> yeah. basically what happened. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Lindsay, was this today was your first time watching it as well? Uh, yeah, this weekend was first time. Yeah, I'm I'm in the Mary Poppins camp. If it's Mary Poppins versus bed knobs and broomsticks, I was a Mary Poppins kid. 
don't think yeah, that's I a think, contest. <laughs> I think last week's podcast, I was dissing Mary Poppins a little bit, and I can't after watching this, rewatching it. It's uh, it's great in some really fun ways, but it does. It, there's it's nowhere near as memorable as Mary Poppins. Like I can quote five Mary Poppins songs and car- lines from characters there, and I've watched that probably less than I've watched this movie. And but all of all of this went out. There's of my, also way more songs. I was gonna than Mary say. Poppins, I feel like I was gonna say Mary Poppins has like a full two side, you know, yeah. long play mm-hmm. record. This had like five. This songs is like barely. Right? musical well i know we're gonna get into this but a bunch of songs were cut from this which i do want to talk about you look at the list of the number of songs in the movie versus how many were it's like almost half were cut so we could talk about that kyle uh yes so this weekend first time that i had seen this musical although it definitely is a musical that was like right on the edge of awareness for me my whole life i feel like it's one of those ones that was we didn't have a copy of it in my house but my friends definitely did but we always elected to watch money python and the holy grail <laughs> instead of anything else so i have to say i was i i was not prepared for how mary poppinsy it was gonna be but just like a little extra weird like that's that's like the whole thing i would i would describe this movie as in a nutshell is like it's Mary Poppins, but everywhere that Mary Poppins zigs, this movie just zags really crazy. <laughs> and yeah, I just wish there were more songs. What about you, Joe? First time viewer, I, so the beautiful Briny Sea was in a Disney sing-along that I had as a kid. And so I watched this so much so that at the end of the beautiful Briny Sea, Briny? Briny? Probably Briny. Briny. Sure. Like you brine um, a pickle with an end. Oh, brine. At the end of that, the next song in the uh, Disney sing-along is a song called The Ugly Bug Ball. There is some listener out there who is like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because all yes. you're giving me blanks. I feel very confused. It's um, so funny because we had all of those sing-alongs videos. Not all, obvious. Mm-hmm. I didn't have this one. So mm. that's, did you I'm, wait? So John, <laughs> did you recognize the beautiful yes. Briny Sea today? Well, I knew like, that it was from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, okay. Because the music video is literally just like the cut from the movie. So they're like with like the fish and, and all that stuff on the bed. Yeah, it's really yeah. neat. Speaking of the visual effects, this won an Academy Award for special effects because the Mary Poppins ripoff, uh, whatever you want to call it, is the Academy loved it in uh, nineteen seventy. I am curious about like the animated armor and how that was done. So that is all has. puppetry. Yeah, a lot of the, I didn't do my research. <laughs> a lot of it's marionettes in the first scene where they're like her bed uh-huh. clothes and things are going around. But a lot of it's just like stuff on ropes. There's a few that are people in armor where like the torso is just bigger. It's literally just people in armor. There's a helmet oh. like exploding. But a lot of Because I was wondering puppetry. like in nowadays it would just be like a person in a green man suit, right? Mm-hmm. And they would just... Yeah, it'd be, uh, it'd but be the Pirates of the that. Caribbean style. I get this movie in my memory confused with Jason and the Argonauts uh, because there's a bunch of claymation skeletons that come to life in that uh-huh. famously. I don't know if you guys have seen uh-huh. the old, is probably a 70s version. I don't know what it, but I get them confused because there's like these armies that are raised from the dead out of nothing, which uh, mm. stuck with me. Let's touch on some like broad trivia. I guess people, we're assuming people have watched this if they're listening to this. Maybe yeah, not. but I'll, I, I got to say that as a first time viewer today, watching just the animated opening credit sequence like all fun musicals from this era have it always goes on too long but i was just like okay what am i expecting because i knew it was part animated that's the only thing i knew going into this and just to see that that ship with the swastika and the opening credits i was like oh whoa we're going to another level with this yeah when that happened i was like wait i don't remember nazis in this movie yeah (laughs) Yeah. 
for a hot second because, because of the way that the key changes when you see that ship i was like wait a second this isn't glorified this is propaganda nazis <laughs> Right, and then, <laughs> but then my next thought, I was like, no, it can't be. Then my next thought was, gee, why are all of those knights like where their bodies? This is weird. I'm here for a tapestry opening, but I don't get it. <laughs> right, because the art style is like Renaissance tapestry, mm-hmm. and so you see a bunch of things. Like they do a really cute job of being like, oh, these are the composers, and then you see like, you know, a little Renaissance dude with a, a lute and stuff. Like they kind of match it up to the person's job in the movie or whatever and then it just goes from zero to full nazi like one frame (laughs) and it's just so jarring to see like a modern iron steel warship in a renaissance tapestry and it's got like a nazi symbol on it and like yeah i I just remember being a a bit like surprised when that happened Mm. and just being like i don't know if i really do know what this movie is about (laughs) i mean i'll say really questioning I'll say I then watched the entire movie and still kind of feel that way. (laughs) Also, it feels like they tell you about the Nazis really, you know, during this credit sequence, just because it's going to be a long time before that really matters. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of matters right at the beginning. And right at the end, and there's a whole yeah, you soccer like, game in between. You kind of blow your Nazi load a little early, you know? With No, I think it's right. If we're going to battle the Nazis at the end, we have to hear them at the beginning. It's Chekhov's Nazi, okay? It's Chekhov's Nazi. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's the title of this episode until we find a better one. Chekhov's Nazi. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's confusing when you watch it. it. There's one diegetic song really early on, and then we don't hear another piece of musical theater for like another 25 minutes. And it's because four or I'm counting five songs were cut from this version. The original uh, runtime I looked up was like around an hour and uh, two hours and 20 minutes. And they cut about 20 minutes from it because it was premiering uh, in some situation where they had to trim it down to fit in the event. Radio City Music Hall and it had to be under two hours because of how long the Christmas show runs. Right, because those crazy. they run those back to back. If you go those now, they're forty-five minutes because they run them back to. I mean, I can't imagine how long they were then. But yes, I'll say like my my zinger <laughs> I had for this was this movie either needs five more songs or needs to be forty minutes shorter. So but I, it's both true. It should be forty minutes shorter and have five more songs. Yeah, and I don't know which version I watched today because I watched one that was basically two hours perfectly on Disney plus, but this Wikipedia page claims that in 1996, there was a restoration where they put a bunch of stuff back in and reading through some of the things like they made Portobello road into a 10 minute sequence, which it is. And so this is saying that the original one, they cut it down to about three minutes. They had to sort of like pull music from old archives and pull footage from archives to make that Hmm. scene what it is, which explains why it's so weird and confusing. And there's just these crossfades and like all of a sudden we're like- a fade out in the middle of a banger. And then like like, a different nationality is suddenly doing a a different dance and we're like, the music (laughs) has shifted culturally and it's it's so jarring. It's such a frustrating experience because the song never ends and then it fades and then it fades in and it's still going and nothing's And then suddenly it's like, Closing time. <laughs> For no real, way. this this musical has a problem with sticking their landings. Mm. Like at, no scene ends; it just kind of fades away, and oh. the songs don't have satisfying ends. And I feel like that makes me frustrated as a viewer because I don't feel like I'm gaining momentum. Yeah, I'm like, what was that 
whole thing about. I feel like that was about nothing. And sometimes it was in the book the whole time, you know? And you're just like, what? <laughs> what did we do that for? Yeah. We didn't even need to play soccer in an animated animal world. Also, all right. Well, I got a I mean, lot to say the on the soccer scene game. In the movie, so. Yeah. So good. Yeah, we before should go through, we'll go through so the this, plot song Before song. we leave this topic too far behind, I did want to mention that there, uh, noted by the composer, Sherman and Sherman, uh, who did a bunch of old Disney movies and have just, you know, some of the most performed songs of all time under their belt. They commented on this movie that the one of the songs they cut, crucially, was a song that the trio of orphans sings in the very beginning of this movie. You know, a lot of this movie does remind me of, like, It's a Wonderful Life and some of those, like, 40s type of movies, just because it's very melodramatic at times, right? It's like these three war orphans, and, like, you know, they're really tugging at our heartstrings from the get-go, but they don't have a song. And so there's some part of these orphans that I just don't really feel emotionally invested in until, like, a long way into this movie. and it just Especially because like, Charlie's a dick. <laughs> right, we could have had such a softer, more nuanced view of any of these characters if they would sing to us, you know what I mean? And, you know, take a, take a place in our hearts. I felt like whenever I saw Charlie, the actor's mouth moving, it didn't necessarily line up a lot. It felt like it was overdubbed, and I wonder if that's because his accent was too thick. What do you guys think? I mean, it was probably dubbed no matter what. All these old movies are, their right. dialogues were placed. Just because the recording equipment on set was not that good. Right. Uh, something that I wanted to talk about where we were talking kind of about like the Mary Poppins aspect of it all. Also that this movie or this story is based on a couple of books. And Eglantine Price is actually supposed to be this like, almost like Severus Snape character where she's lanky and like dark haired and like has a pointy nose and is not nice to the kids, but she's doing good. Kyle, what are you thinking? Yeah, I would say let's let's meet our main character. I would say that Angela Lansbury plays our main character, right? She gets the broomstick and she gives the bed knob away. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> I feel like it is a very confusing character in, in a lot of ways. You know, Angela Lansbury has this lovely, like very matronly energy where she's a bit of like a you know tough old lady with you know a bright aspect and sort of bubbly and witty I guess I'm not sure her, her but she's very warm and it's interesting hearing that she was written as rather a you know sort of severe icy character because um, that definitely doesn't match well with her like whole deal. <laughs> no. So when she auditioned for it, she like brought a warmth to it that was very similar to Mary Poppins. And that's why she was second up after Julie Andrews. It's strange because I feel like the script, especially in the second half of the movie, still sort of leans into that, like she's an odd character. It's almost like she's miscast a little bit because they're, they introduced very late in the story the idea that she's like forgetful with the spells, which I was like, I remember being sort of surprised by that being introduced as part of the plot. Yeah, it's I was like, like the so first time she's forgotten a spell in the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's the same time where they try to make the little kid into someone that no one's listening to, which is also like kind of out of left field. But that was surprising to me. And it was like, this doesn't quite fit with Angela Lansbury. She's very matronly and all the things you were saying. So it, it feels like some of the script, it's still there a little bit. The sort of spooky or more kooky witch. <laughs> Yes, very. Uh, this is a very eccentric witch character. Can we say this? This is not a scary witch. This is mm -hmm. not a sinister witch in any kind of way. This is totally like nearly fairy godmother level type of witchery. Yeah, I would describe her as a um, uh, more of a magician than a witch, almost. You know what I mean? Like she she does spells 
that are delightful and you know she knows like three spells <laughs> i don't know I also... she rides a broomstick she's got a motorcycle with green smoke kyle that's and a, a black and a black cat that's true the black cat which all right I we, also... we we dumped on greatest showman for the cgi animals but we got to give it credit both puppet animals and animated animals much preferred Sorry, I just prefer the CGI. Oh no, I just want to bring up the rules of magic in this movie because it's like, what are the rules, cats? It's like he is a fraud and can't do magic, but she has the same spells. And is it because she believes? Because then later he's looking in the mirror and he's like, I'm going to believe for once in my life. And suddenly he can do magic. Right. And Charlie is described, Charlie's described as being at an age where he can no longer believe. And then sort of by jumping on the bed, he then, I guess, believes and so sort of, that's his journey it's a bit Charlie never believes I kept saying I kept yelling at the TV my wife can vouch for this I said how many magical bed rides you got to go on Charlie before you just start accepting the world you're in <laughs> but so does that mean that literally anyone who believes can do magic there's nothing like special about her it's just that she believes and she knows it is yeah, a rather academic right. form of magic. I'm asking if I can do magic. That's really what I'm trying to get at. That Jules, seems to be the rules that they've yeah. set up. Yeah. The 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 whole caveat is that he just like was copying from this like random old book of spells that he found and he like didn't think they meant anything and maybe Eglantine Price is like the one person who's like, "Hold on. Wait a second. I do believe in this and this is something that's real." But then like, who does she get the broom from? That's my question. Because yeah. if this if this Emporium dude, who all he's got to his name is a suitcase popper outer thingy, then like <laughs> he's not shipping brooms to people, especially brooms that can fly for real. Discuss. Sam, what are you thinking? Uh, I was just like, it's crazy how Miss Price, she doesn't really ever acknowledge the fact that that man was actively duping her for years, I think. Like, I don't know yes. how long she was studying. He was like doing it with malice in his heart and he's just lucky that he accidentally was giving her real magic. You know what I mean? Yeah, she does move past that really quick, but maybe I was, I always took it as that she like already knows that magic's real. She doesn't even care that he was faking her. It's like, it already works. Right, she is like, I need the book to save you know, Europe from the Nazis, you know? Yeah. So I, I guess, guess that makes sense. I guess it was all about the Nazis all along because at the end she's like, oh, I knew I didn't want to be a witch when there was poison dragon liver sent to me. But she continued to be a witch for quite a while after yeah. that. So was it all about fighting the Nazis? No, uh, I think poison- it was all about becoming a, um, a non-single, non-special woman. <laughs> it's the- mm-hmm theme of this whole story oh god it she made me... gives up witchcraft and marries <laughs> a guy who lied to her basically <laughs> yeah. Through, yeah through the mail it was it's a little cringeworthy these i was like oh this is not the good cho- right choice for her also the song um eglantine eglantine when he's literally she's like stop touching me we have work to do and he's like but we could be in love and she's like can no. i just say that song does not slap so the song does not slap However, Eglantine Price's response in that song is fucking great. Sam, what are you thinking? It's just my one bit of trivia. I knew that when the Sherman brothers pitched this song to Walt Disney, Walt Disney fell asleep. <laughs> Not a banger. Yeah. Not, Not a banger. Hilarious. Ouch. Let's um let's go through the soundtrack, John. I know you've got Lansbury trivia. We'll get um, there. I'm not yeah. worried. 
One so more to talk about I, BSAs. I think my but favorite I, song in the movie is the first one, The Old Home Guard. It's, you know, all, all the old soldiers getting together to, you know, oh. they're ready to fight the Nazis, all these old guys. That's your favorite song? Did you song? say your favorite song or the first song? Whoa, There's shade. There's not a lot of choices, shade, everybody. Jesus. Um, yeah, it's my favorite fucking song. Great. Suck it. <laughs> What's your favorite part about this opening song, Josh? Okay, well, let's not go into too much detail. I just really... <laughs> It's charming. Yeah, it's got a bunch of old... Something very sweet. It's very sentimental. Old guys trying to defend their country. It really got me. We can move on from this one. There's the whole thing about, like, World War II is the backdrop and, like, the main thing that everyone's struggling with. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, this is 1971. World War II is, like, over. (laughs) And we're, like, we're dealing with other issues in in the U.S. Like, I, I just wonder if, like, this nostalgia fest about you know the old home guard and it's it's world war ii and we're all believing in you know this sort of righteous war type of thing versus the situation in 1971 which was like we've been in vietnam forever and this is crazy right now and like yeah i just wonder if there's like something where people are like can't handle the you know reality of political life in america in 1971 and i think this is right realized past (laughs) I think this what? is right You're... if if it was written in 71, but it was written in the 60s. And it's like, you also have to remember that Sound of Music came out before this and people were probably like, oh, we can do a musical with Nazis. Like, yeah, we can like just, it feels like they were just... That was literally as hard as they thought about it. Rolf was very charming. I think you're right on the money, Josh. I think this is almost like a Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins mashup, mashup clone thing. <laughs> yeah, it definitely what, what got really weird. This, what year is this set in? Because 19, the 1940. Okay. It's like during the Blitz too, when Germany was bombing London and a lot of the, the, the bigger cities. So the idea that these kids are displaced, like I honestly, it seems like the kids' parents are dead because the end of the movie, they're like, oh, you're going to be our mommy and our dad daddy they don't touch on that enough at all how traumatized these kids must be i was i was wondering that i was like uh my wife's like oh so they're orphans i was like no no no. their parents are in london they're gonna be reunited with their parents at the end of the movie it's like no no evidently uh, not fun no. fact fun fact about the blitz angela lansbury went to california during the blitz she escaped to california that yeah is a fun fact about the blitz <laughs> <laughs> It is one of the funner facts about the Blitz, actually. I, I'm, I'm Anything involving Andrea Lansbury is a fun fact. Andrea yeah. Lansbury. Um, Andrea Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. I'm sorry, guys. We need to so, stop. Oh, my God. That is your perfect actor, though, John. <laughs> Andrea Lansbury. <laughs> Andrea Lansbury. Angela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angela, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I know who you are. I love you. Call me. We, we know you're listening. Okay, so that my favorite song happens in, in the very opening of the movie, and then we have to fast forward about... <laughs> 20 or 30 minutes before the next song, which is The Age of Not Believing, Mm. uh, which is very sweet. This also feels like a Mary Poppins or Sound of Music nanny type type song, doesn't it? Oscar nominated for best original song that year. And it lost to the theme from Shaft. (laughs) (laughs) That's true and correct. Oh no. We have anything to say about this song? I think it is a great performance from Dame Angela Lansbury. And I think that she is really making, she's really spinning gold out of straw in this number is is my kind of takeaway. It's fine. It's not like that memorable. And, and it's a little bit like she gets to show off her like <laughs> warmth and quirkiness. It is definitely the spoonful of sugar of this movie, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Just a little worse. <laughs> John. A lot um, worse. 
I know that Disney in this age or in this time period did a lot of movies like this, but Angela Lansbury really digs into this, talking about how she felt like this was a movie by numbers, where literally like she just showed up and they storyboarded the entire show or the entire movie before filming it. And so they're like, well, we know we're going to do from this shot. So if we could just have you look surprised. Okay, great. Now, if you could do this. And so like one of the things that I feel like is super missing for me is that it feels very much like this is a, a movie that has been my micromanaged by somebody who doesn't understand movies. Mm. And a great example is this song where this like, this song should have heart or this song should have something because it tracks visually. Like if you turn the sound off, you're like, oh, I get it. She's like encouraging the kids getting ready for them to like go on this wild, crazy adventure and trying to convince some kid who has like a cat allergy. I don't know. Why was like <laughs> him hissing the only reason that, sh that, that he was like, okay, I'm gonna jump on the bed. Like, I don't know. Because Charlie's a little bitch. He's a little yeah. bitch. Yeah, That's the, moral the whole the song, they sing it at him. It's the age of not believing, which also, it just feels like really mean to do to Charlie. They're like, a lifetime of loneliness awaits you or whatever it is. It's really weird. <laughs> but it's a whole convinced song. And then Charlie remains unconvinced and they go, okay you're gonna stay here. We're gonna go on a magical bed Yeah, adventure. we're going to London, see in a couple days. Like, just <laughs> yeah. leave a kid alone. Yeah. You know where London is, right? Where your parents are? <laughs> parents were. Yeah. Were, sorry. Yikes. Fun blitz. <laughs> I will also say, I think the words, the age of non-believing doesn't roll off the tongue super well. This is one of the things that makes me suspect that it's a little bit of a nostalgia bait piece. Because there's, you know, a decade before, back when they were originally writing this, uh, a little musical called Hair had just come out. And that was all about how like times they are a changing. Mm -hmm. And we're like rocketing into this crazy future that's like, you know, everything's gonna be upset. The old order is gonna be turned upside down. And uh, this, this to me seems like a product of almost like, let's run in the total opposite way so we don't like lose our balance kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and yeah, the age of not believing. I don't know, <laughs> it's fine. It, it does make me sad though that it doesn't work as a song. Like it doesn't have an impact on Charlie's character in this moment. Cause I almost think that because we have so few songs in the cut that we were able to watch, it's it really, it takes the wind out of the sails of the songs when they don't work, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm so used to it being like, oh, you sing a song to somebody because you have to put in a little extra razzmatazz to get them to, you know, be on your side or whatever. But when that doesn't work, then it's like, well, what more can you do? We sang. We, we sang. Danced. Get on the bed. <laughs> That's what I've asked, like, everybody, anybody who has ever been mad at me. I'm like, what can I do? I sang. Jump on the um, bed. <laughs> Let's move Can, on. We, can Let's, we get into Portobello Road? No, yeah, because there's one song it. before then. There's we, one song right. before uh, that. There the Eglantine, we sort of talked about. We want to talk about that. Not Eglantine. The, the, um, actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I think this song might have been cut from the movie. But the, but the professor has a song when they arrive in London on the bed knob, on the bed, <laughs> and he's like singing to them. Am I making this up? Because oh, it's the on the soundtrack. It's called With a Flare. And the lyrics to the last verse are just, they, I want to read them. Read them. You, you buy my charms and poxes cause they come in fancy boxes. To improve your ugly daughter, I've a vial of colored water. And my magic incantations can be framed as decorations. Though there's really nothing to it. And of course you all see through it. You love me cause I do it with a flair. This is premier 
charlatan salesman musical theater character. To me, this really reminds me of Inspector General. Go listen to that episode. Uh, we do a whole breakdown of, you know, throughout the ages, uh, the charlatan salesman of musical theater history. But yeah, Pete's Dragon, which also came out around this uh, period in history, I think that was maybe 73, mm -hmm. uh, but similarly had a mix of real and animated uh, shots together. Um, but yeah, there's there's also a character that is suspiciously similar to this, now that I've seen this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been so fun. I feel like Eglantine, or not Eglantine, the... the Professor, Mr. Brown is... Uh, Emilius. Emilius Brown. He's, he also suffers from this thing where like his, his shtick doesn't work. He, he makes one mistake and then everyone in the crowd leaves when he's trying to do his magic show. It feels a little bit like the magic is very deflated in this movie uh, early it's on. It's because he's a non-believer. I guess so. Unless it's like a psychedelic bed trip dude then magic isn't real <laughs> it is actually wonderful when they go in the bed though it really reminds me of like uh the dude traveling through the air oh it's <laughs> in so the big Lebowski. in the big Lebowski. Um, well let's let's speaking of the bed it takes them to london and we get to hear this insane portobello road song so let's talk about this well this song this is we're actually skipping over a bunch and this is exactly what the movie should have skipped over she should have she should have been like where's this professor he's at portobello road boom i cut 30 minutes of this movie we didn't need he's there we just meet him at portobello road instead of going to london for some reason it's like we're always getting to portobello road the weird diagon alley where everyone's singing it is how long do we know how long this series of pieces are it's not least 10, long 11 enough. minutes almost it's, 11 minutes yes yeah, over yeah. 10 we talked about the trivia here. This was originally three minutes long, and they sort of re they re uh, mastered some old versions of. Uh, I'm so confused about the version of the movie that we watched then on Disney Plus. Yeah, because feels... we watched the two hour movie. We watched ten minutes of Portobello Road, but John, the song you're just talking about was definitely not in the cut we watched. So I'm very confused about what was released. Maybe it's like that it's weird. So when we're, we're, when we're also Wars talking about. Master. Oh, 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 I see your question. Because the thing that I was going to say is another big thing that was cut is that the priest had a huge story plot where he was going to try to get Eglantine to, he was going to force Eglantine to marry her. And then he was going to like take her to the town square for being a witch. And Wait, he was going to marry her and then take her to the square for being a witch? Something. There was something. Like, it just, it didn't work. But it was a famous was, actor whoa. who received top billing. I was going to say. received top billing. He's third. And he does all, get smothered by a nightgown, though, to be fair. He's in less than 10 minutes of the film. It's crazy. He, is he listed? He's not listed above the names. I thought he had, he is, it's, it's, it's like Angela Lansbury, uh, the guy who played Mr. Banks, and then this guy. <laughs> I forgot to look. I just know in the credits, he's the third person listed. Right, right. We are introduced to this priest long before we are introduced to uh, Professor Brown, yeah. uh, who is way more consequential in this movie, and we don't hear from for quite a while. And yeah, it definitely feels like this priest character is a bit of a vestigial character from some early draft that just never got, you know, cut out. Maybe they just did the opening credits sequence first, and then they were like, ah, it's too late now. I'm gonna oh. do a little bit of search, Google searching here, and it appears there's actually three versions of this film. Oh my God. Ah! 
there should we do I, the trilogy imdb <laughs> has an entire list of the things that were put into the remastered uh version is um, the remastered version what's on disney plus no, because it's saying that that version is 139 minutes, and I'm quite certain the one I watched today was two hours exactly. It was one hour, 57 minutes. So there's a whole list of these things that were cut, but some of these are, we see. Portobello Road is to start its entirety. Okay, let's see if this checks out. The main song adds a scene when a used clothing merchant and another scene and where Charlie and Paul play cricket. And then there's a Caribbean dance preceding an Irish dance. We did see that today. Unlike the formerly cutscenes, the tail end of the Irish dance, the beginning of the dance's climax only existed as a faded work print that had to be digitally scanned and cleaned. There must be three versions. Sam, you've had your hand up. I just want to get us back to Portobello Road for a second. And here's my one of my issues with Portobello Road. It's got big chim chimney vibes, right? Sure. In its melody. And so I don't know. In, in Chim Chimney, is that the name of the song? Will somebody correct me? What is the name of the song? Until we, until we can beat it. You're talking about chitty, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No, no, no. no the Chim Chim Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah. All right, so in Chim Chimney, uh, it's like it's like a love of doing like this dangerous job, and it's like a lonely job and a sad job. You know, like it's like it's got this melancholy feel, and that really works for that song. But in this, it's got this really melancholy feel for this like cool place we're all supposed to like like i i didn't know how i was supposed to feel about portobello road was i excited to be there or was i like this is a place where lonely people live kyle like it feels dangerous but also fun but also like fairly disconnected in in a way too like i got vibes that it kind of reminded me of that song in the producers where it was like and now ula dance <laughs> and then just like <laughs> starts a totally unrelated piece of music to like do a dance to and then like comes back into it that's like portobello road in a nutshell except it's just you do that for a bunch of different cultures all smashed together and it's all crazy i i'm not gonna lie at the end of this experience of watching bedknobs and broomsticks portobello road is one of my favorite parts I've oh, come yeah. 180 oh, yeah. degrees around on this song. I think it's actually one of my favorite parts. Oh, yeah. It's one that I, I would three. the entire beginning of the movie and watch Portobello Road and then watch from there to the end, maybe. <laughs> right. I didn't know it was going to be so important. Like, that's why I was like, we had to get here sooner. Actually, so many things. I was like, why weren't we here sooner? <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, let's press on. Uh, beautiful briny road the, after the portobello road they they end up uh, figuring out they have to go to the ocean which was originally this song if please correct me if i'm wrong was originally written for mary poppins yeah was taken out of mary poppins oh. and they're like well we'll put it in here because the book doesn't ever talk about them going to the bottom of the ocean they're like oh you're going to the island we're gonna start you in the bottom of the ocean it's like that's yeah, weird. it's like the bed's weird. it's like the, nav the navigation on the bed is broken a little bit they're like yeah we'll just drop well, you two miles off the coast that's what happens when you go in the animated realm like your gps gets thrown off so yeah you're right you're right there's a uh, trans-dimensional like margin of error you have to account for yeah. for um, our sanity could they have just put like an animated bubble 
over the fucking thing. Like, they right. were just breathing water, and I was like, what is happening? Just put a bubble around Damn. it. I buy it. It's magic, Damn. but... They are literally floating on a bed that has come from <laughs> yeah, a different you, I love I know. Yeah. I'm no, willing your biggest to problem. go there, that but you can't too. breathe underwater. When I get that thing when you are in a dream, and you, like, get immersed in water in the dream, and then there's that point at which you, like, take a breath, and you realize that you're dreaming, and you're just underwater. No, um, that sounds like a very Kyle Atchison dream. This is, this is a Kyle Atchison I've dream. experienced I've that had. before, and I don't dream. Uh, all of you dreamers out there, you know what I'm saying. But I, I really, I definitely had, if, if this has never happened to you before, watch this movie and you'll know exactly what I mean. Because it's literally, I, I found myself holding my breath when they were underwater, just sort mm -hmm. of sympathetically, not even really thinking about it. And, and, and then after a while, I was like, oh, no, they're going to be down there for a long time. And like, they're going to dance with the fish and stuff. I, I just can't think about it. For me, this movie gets like eight out of 10 cats for, yeah. for like <laughs> world That's, logic. Wow, your <laughs> like, score's gone up. It's, wow. almost, so you, it's almost more what are the rules. I feel no. Well, you have, no, if, if this had no. been okay. produced. Okay. I'm sorry. It's got to put it in, in context of when it was written. Um, yeah, also, I feel like this does actually deliver on the crazy Nazi premise that it promised. There's, it kind of over-delivers in a lot of ways, this movie, mm -hmm. you know? Um, mm -hmm. Whereas Cats is just one confusing dream state. Yeah, but I do want to say okay, about this it song, it promises beautiful... cats, and you get cats. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel yeah, it it's... very. It way over delivers on cats. Are they cats though? All right. Anyway, we're not getting into this. We're not getting into this. The beautiful briny is my favorite song in the movie. It Me was too. very enjoyable, and the sequence was by far the most joyous I was in the whole thing. Oh, it's fun. And then to go to that like fish cabaret and they're all dancing and fish trumpet players. Are they singing oh, in those megaphones in a weird way? That, oh, I yeah. Like I Barbershop Quartet. Yeah. The, the octopus playing drums was rad. Brilliant. I was, uh, I was watching this in the living room and my sister happened to walk through during this song and she's like, what are you watching? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Fantasia and uh, the beautiful Briny Sea to me is like fantastic example of trippy Disney sequence. I feel like uh, uh, Dumbo mm. has one of those too, where Dumbo drinks the champagne and there's all the like weird colorful elephants. It's great. The animation looks just like silly in 70s and really mm. bright and fun. It's such a good break from the rest of this movie. Because yeah, it's the blitz, you know, like the, the colors are very somber in the first half of this movie until we get to Portobello Road almost. And then we like even turn that up to 11 with this with this sequence. And it's just a good song. It is weird that we go to one uh, magically animated environment only to then go on land and do it all over again. But with a giant soccer match, I didn't really think about, they could have uh, just- Let's get into it. Let's I am, get into I am it. shocked that Kyle's favorite part is not the soccer match. Because I'm... to me, I fucking love this scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's best so scene in the movie. It's gotta be much. This is the best scene in the movie. It goes on a little long. It's long, yeah. I agree. But sure you follow it. I for me, like I never got bored the entire time. It was literally every shot, something new was happening. It was going in a different direction. They were attacking each other in a different way. And like I fucking loved it. Speaking of Fantasia vibes, I will say some of the animals in this soccer match are very Dance of the Hours from Fantasia. <laughs> You're referencing the crocodile, of course, which the is the crocodile, the, exact the ostrich. Same, 
and the yeah. ostrich. Yeah, and, the exact same and there's character. And a hippo stocks. and a elephant. Yeah, I mean the bear all. is blue in a lot of ways. Sure, um, blue sailor cousin. The, also, the, the guy who does the bear voice, he's in a lot of Disney stuff, but he's also that voice on Thunder Mountain Railroad that goes, you're in for a wild ride. <laughs> Lindsay, you mentioned that the, the lion, who is the sort of king of this land, is pretty similar to uh, in, what is it, in Robin Hood, the prince of oh, yeah. Nottingham or whatever, king whoever that is. Mm, totally different character take. But same enemy. Richard is the yeah. good one. The King John? King, King John, yeah. King John. Uh, is King John also a pirate? Yeah. Why oh, was the Lion oh King he a does pirate? have a full on pirate voice. Rachel's like, why is there a pirate? I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's a king. <laughs> and he is a lion, the most seafaring of all animals. <laughs> pirate, pirate king. And all the right. sailor bear doesn't speak like a pirate at all. Right. No, he just speaks like a weird drunk, kind of. I love the comedy of small tent, big space. When <laughs> when they, when he's outside the king's tent, where you think like, yeah, the king probably has like a gigantic throne and like a huge like palace. And it's just like this really small, like set up porta potty size tent. <laughs> yeah. I the loved the Zazu character. He's mm -hmm. great. Oh yeah. Yes. It is so a Zazu. Good. Maybe Zazu is inspired by this, like having your little toucan bird as your little crier. So wait, uh, can I just clarify the plot? It's that they can't, the king is angry because he can't play soccer because they don't have a referee. That's the plot, right? And it turns out it's because the referee gets trampled a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The referee dies, I think. Everything is, is British in this, but they're clearly going for an American audience. Like, it is soccer. We don't want to confuse yeah. you for a second here. The kid says football, but they oh, have yeah. to they say it's soccer. a soccer also can we just point out the fact that Emilius says he played for Manchester United? I think. Yeah, and Tottenham. Yeah. Like, turns out, yeah, turns out he, in a, before he was a street swindler, he was a professional footballer. Well, Jules, he's a, he's a liar, I think though. he swindled you. I think it was a lie to get what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. Swindled you. Oh my God, how <laughs> dare he? That's funny. The friend, I, man. I found, you know, for a Disney movie, I found this whole sequence, like the morality, a little troubling because Angela Lansbury, who up to this point seems like a pretty, like, put together character adult. She's like leading the children on some good choices. They basically steal from this guy and then just leave, and she's okay with that. It feels like there's a missed opportunity for this to be some sort of swindle or where they like use the hubris of the king against himself to like get it in some deal that goes crooked and they have to win a game or something like that i don't know thoughts yeah, i i definitely agree i think there was like maybe a chance for that the whole like king character to matter a little more i'm also super willing to forgive this movie for not making that much sense i do want to bring up a related <laughs> point which is like the whole thing that this is leading up to is that the nazis invade england and what literally yeah. happens at the beginning mm -hmm. of this animated sequence is these people from the real world on a bed invade this cartoon land they like show up on a boat, they go ashore, and then they steal something valuable from this land and then like leave immediately. And then so later on down the movie, we have another naval invasion, but this time it's from the Nazis and it's <laughs> treated totally differently. Yeah, that famous naval invasion that the Nazis did during World War II. You guys remember that? Remember learning about it was just a naval little one, invasion? just a little one, just a mini one. <laughs> they were just so threatening weird. them. I, okay, well, I, have I love that two that's questions. how they're rewriting history is like, it's just a single submarine of sailors. So we just park it there and we go ashore. 
No, go scare us. That's okay. We're, we'll run. We'll run. Yeah, Jules, sorry. I have two questions. One, I just remembered. There's a sign that says no peopling allowed. Does that mean, is it just a miss, you know, just people aren't allowed? Or does that peopling like fishing? Like you're not allowed to f- Whoa. capture oh, and good kill question. people? I assumed the first one, but I didn't think about it. I think the second one it's more is more fun. Yeah. It, it's almost so, as if the deep oceans, as mysterious as they are to us humans, the real world is mysterious to these cartoon sure. characters. And then my second comment is, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know if we need to talk about the soccer game more, but when they get back to the real world and she's like, oh, give me the spell. And then the medallion disappears and he's like, I guess I should have known better that this wouldn't translate to this world. And I'm like, what? I want to back up a sec to add to this because one thing that struck me as crazy as they're coming back is she's like, well, what do I do with this? And he's like, let me hang on to that. Women are always losing things. And I was like, ew, that's so gross. And then it- Yeah. And then later when he says like, women need to learn how to file. (laughs) Yeah. Two examples of it totally not translating to today's age. But I realized later they were like, Oh, they needed a chance for it to be wrapped up in something so it could disappear. It just felt like a like a plot hole they were trying to fill. Very strange that it just it disappears. Like that he's questioning the fact that it can't translate from animated world to our world. And it's like, you're flying on a bed, sir. <laughs> for me, the part that befuddles, that's befuddling is that they can't remember five words. There's five people involved. <laughs> Each of you take a word and just remember that. We'll say it in order. Yeah. You know, also, I, this is all a moot point because it's written down in the kid's book. Oh yeah, that's right. Which the whole which we time. Find out- I feel I feel cheated because we find out after we get back. Right this after. This is we literally like, the it, worst. It was all a dream. Plot right. It I is not imagine. like you had it in you all along, and we basically did the adventure, but we learned something about ourselves. It was like psych. The whole side quest was a ruse. There's you know? another thirty minutes we could cut, even though it's the best thirty minutes in On the movie. This, so. All right, best let's, thirty minutes. Let's take a bird's eye view here for a second because it is easy to be an armchair philosopher for a movie that was made 50 Written years ago. Early 60s, like, basically early everyone 70s. this these days is an expert in movies because we just watch so many and we're all like writing things. Like, can you imagine seeing this in 1970? Let's all imagine a time we never existed in and just- Well, first like, off, what, the enemy would... is- the enemy is still like Nazism. Like that's like, people are still very much remember like, that's right. We just want a war against these people. And so like, I think right off the bat, you're like bringing people on board with na- like with nationalism almost. And people are like, great, yeah, I'm in it. I'm not sure. I, I, I almost think that because it's 1971 and like communism is like the big bad in my country at that time. I almost would look at this and, and think that like, oh, this is a little old fashioned. Like it's trying to do what Sound of Music did and Sound of Music was already kind of intentionally a little old fashioned. So yeah, I almost wonder if it's like kind of chasing like a diminishing returns in terms of what it's focusing on. Sam, what do you think? Uh, I, something that actually impressed me today about this movie was when the cartoon picks up the guy. It happened several times. And every time I was like, that's cool. That's cool that the cartoon picked up the guy. And it's like, clearly the guy's like on wires or whatever, this green screen. I know it could have been done. It, I love to see how much interaction there was. It wasn't just like copy and paste next to each other. It was like, totally. it's it totally integrated. And honestly, it won an Academy Award for visual 
visuals, special effects, something like that. And it That's deserves visual, it. There was special visual effects, yeah. I mean, there's so many cool animation tricks with real life, and then just the practical stuff of like her flying on the broomsticks or the bed trippy scene. Like all those elements were still impressive and like rad today. Yeah, I remember I, those are the things that I stuck with me as a kid. It was all the like furniture and the suits of armor coming to life. That's what's real magical. Like, I do not remember the plot at all. <laughs> I just know that the bed flies around and you go into like trippy Willy Wonka style like tunnels that are real freaky. Did, and did anyone else notice the similarity between this story and like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yeah. Because that similarly starts with these orphans from London going out into the countryside and they arrive at this like big old mansion and inside that mansion they discover a magical wardrobe that then leads them to a magical land and so like these orphans they kind of have a similar trajectory just like a little you know it's like worse through a lens mm-hmm. but yeah instead of a big mansion it's angela lansbury's house and <laughs> instead of kids with personalities it's these three <laughs> instead of a magical land they go to london Great. Right. Instead yeah. of the Ice Queen, it's this Lion King. Yeah, instead, of, instead of Aslan, you have a crappy street musician. Well, Aslan, <laughs> the lion from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is kind of present. He's just like a real weird looking cartoon. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> also, um, interesting though that, like, for all its parallels to C.S. Lewis's book, it, it has very little in the way of, like, religious content. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a priest character who has very little to do with anything. And it almost feels like if we're doing a World War II thing, like there should be some kind of religious context there as well. Well, there is a line, I think early on, where they're like, these kids need some religion or something. And she's like, nope. I'm gonna raise them to be witches like me. Yeah, the priest is like, you could take them to church. And she's like, nope, (laughs) scoot, scoot, scoot. Uh, Yeah, and I was thinking, Kyle, you were saying like McCarthyism is what's going on, right? Like a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. And this is just about a witch, an unapologetic witch. Yeah, and and it's like, yeah, she's anti the priest guy. That's so true now that you mention it, because I'm hearing, I'm seeing like they have the scene where it's like, hey, can we not tell anyone that I'm a witch? And the kids are like, maybe. Oh, 100% red scare. Is this an American production or an English production? It's yeah, it was shot me. at the Disney lot for American audiences. Yeah, a lot of people uh, at the time considered Angela Lansbury to be an American actress. Huh, interesting. It was kind of a she felt was kind of a dig. Something I uh, came across today, segue into wrapping this up, was there is a stage musical version of this that was being uh, worked on in 2018. It was supposed to come out in 2020. Did anyone else Ooh. read any about thing about this? It, why didn't it come out in 2020? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll have to keep digging. Uh, oh but it was supposed to have made some sort of premiere in Chicago. But do these these are names of people who are involved in this. Brian Hill, Neil Bartram. Anyone know any of these names? Wow, they got Neil Bartram? This feels Not like maybe well. someone was just like editing a Wikipedia page to make their like writing project seem cool. I don't know. Maybe. We should do that. Oh, yeah. We need to make Wikipedia pages about our shows, even the ten, even the the twenty four hey, hour ones. Everyone listening right now, if you have any experience editing Wikipedia pages, go ahead and make the, this little Wikipedia page. We'll send you yeah, some we info. Don't have one. Also, just make up some lines about us. Like, yeah, let's let's just drum make up some us sound interest. cool, bro. We yeah, need Andrea on. Martin in one of our musicals, so that would help a lot. Right. All right. My 
closing thoughts on this movie are it's like a lot of the Disney movies that I've rewatched as an adult, like Swiss Family Robinson, mm. don't hold up. They're just not made for adults. And the lesson I take away is it's better to just leave some of these as fond memories and maybe mm-hmm. not maybe <laughs> not uh, force them into this this podcast. Mm-hmm. Although it was fun to rewatch, I will say. I know I was the one talking about time here, but I'm you're saying wrapping up this this discussion we haven't even gotten to the Nazis and the animated armor yet Josh Oh uh, yeah we should talk about the end you're right and we also have to talk about Angela the history of Angela Lansbury and how let's, it relates let's, to this podcast. Let's get into it. Uh, the end of the movie, we see a, a spell that she thinks doesn't work suddenly become a really good idea, and all the uh, they lock they, the Nazis are so dumb they knock them in a, a museum full of armor and weapons, and then it all comes to life and runs them out of town, pretty unviolently actually. They just sort of. I was going to say I didn't know Nazis' weaknesses was getting bonked really hard on the head. <laughs> That's all it took. That's all. I, I'm confused because I feel like they went into a church that had, the, or a palace or whatever, that had like suits of armor. And then it was like, they came to life and you see like a gigantic army. And I'm like, were all of those in the palace? It's and like then there's Jesus also like- multiplied the bread and fishes. Oh, this sure. is Angela Lansbury with suits of armor. So there's it is the, there's the religious related. iconography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's similar to Portobello Road where it's like you see all of these different like nationalities dancing. There's like all different nationalities armor too. Like I feel like there's some Viking armor, there's definitely some Scottish armor. Yeah, it's, it's like, like all a the history of, of of European, well I guess English uh, than United yeah. Kingdom conquest. Yeah, it's the about. old home guard from the past. Can I tell you that around this time, it was about the time that I fell asleep the first time I watched this, <laughs> and I woke up the next it's morning like being like, left. did I miss anything? I definitely missed something. I need to rewatch the ending of this. It was literally four minutes left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's how it ends. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't get it all. I just want to also say the kiss at the end made me very uncomfortable. Whoa. I don't know if anyone else felt that way. Whoa. I am here for stories that end with women not needing a man and like being strong and independent. And this movie is not that story. <laughs> Witchcraft in 2020 is, for me at least, pretty synonymous with like agency and like you know, power, like female power and like yeah. independence and all that, you know, it kind of like symbolizes that stuff, right? And it we take literally the opposite journey in this movie from like somebody who is like quirky and kind of powerful against all odds, right? Th- this man is sending her spells that don't work, but through her own power somehow, she's making she them did, into real magic. Yeah, I mean, he you guys, Nazis. You guys remember um, watching the, opening credits for this because how can you not they're 10 minutes long there's like not a single female involved in the production of this it's just angela lansbury so it makes sense that this was an oversight mm. i guess so that's the difference between 1971 and 2020 totally i mean do we have any thinking about it then do we have any other thoughts about the movie before we dive into angela lansbury <laughs> all right john take us all right away. guys <laughs> not your notes because this is going to be a test. No, uh, I'm going to keep this quick, but I had so much fun, like, just like being like, oh yeah, connecting these dots. Angela Lansbury's first American movie is Gaslight in 1944. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, didn't get it. 
the next year. She is in a, another a movie uh, with the familiar title, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and she, or The Portrait, rather, of Dorian Gray, and, and she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress, which is really exciting. She then does like a bunch of smaller roles, like MGM puts her as like the matron or like parts that she, were not interesting, but were like the powerful, like stoic British character. In 1945, she is in a movie musical called The Harvey Girls, The Harrison Girls. The thing is she plays this, it's her first American role where she has an American accent and they, she's like, she's like this honky tonk swank, like saloon singer, yeehaw. And she famously slaps Judy Garland across the face in this movie. Oh my God. It's, <laughs> So good. The movie is really hard to get. What is through. it called? Uh, the Harvey Girls. The, yeah, it's the Harvey Girls. So then we get to 1962. In 1962, she is nominated for her role in the Manchurian Candidate. You guys, I've queued up some things for us to enjoy. <laughs> Calm down. I know you're all very excited. I want the nominee to be dead about two minutes after he begins his acceptance speech waiting time under pressure. You are to hit him right at the point that he finishes the phrase, nor would I ask of any fellow American in defense of his freedom that which I would not gladly give myself. Like, girl's hella serious. And then for Why those of you- Why does she look older in that and it's nine years before? Right, right. That's the thing is that she, that was her like big frustration um, with how she was cast, especially with uh, MGM related movies early on, that they kept casting her as like older than she actually was. But huh. that's what we know her as. That's what we love her as, right? Okay. Uh, so then <laughs> her next step is to Broadway. Mame. Mame is like her. Oh God. Huge. For I me. hate Mame. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you how big Mame was. Angela Lansbury was in Mame on Broadway for two years. That never happens for a leading lady in a Broadway musical, right? So she wins Best Leading Actor, uh, Leading Actress at the Tonys. The Best Supporting Actress from the same musical is B. Arthur from the Golden Girls. What? And then the Best Supporting Actor was also from that musical, Mame. And his name was like Frankie Michelson. Um, uh, uh, Frankie Michaels. And he is the youngest person to ever win a Tony. He was 10 years old. Crazy stuff, right? And then three years later, she's in a musical called Dear World, which is literally a Thicket and Thistle musical. It is about <laughs> Angela Lansbury, who is this old woman who lives in the basement of a bistro in Paris. And, and um, the corporations find that there is oil underneath the streets of Paris. And so they're going to dig up the streets of Paris <laughs> and take away Angela Lansbury's basement. Bastards. So, those bastards. And so the first off, the music in it is amazing. Lindsay, I sent you one of the songs from the musical today. It is just like, it is so good. And Angela Lansbury is like belting her face off. And it's so good. You have to listen to it. She wins best leading actress that year um, at the Tonys for that. And then after all of that, she is offered the role of Eglantine Price. Crazy, huh. right? So she has- Feels a, like a step down to me. Well, it was uh, a Disney contract. Disney was very big. Sure, lots of um, money, I bet. And, and Mary Poppins hadn't come out yet. Mary Poppins, you know, oh, 
Yes. Right? So when she was there, she's like, oh yeah, this is a great story. So she has five other big performances that I'm going to blitz through really quick. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. Uh, I feel like we've overused the word blitz. (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, That I'm going to rush through really quick. So she does the first revival of Gypsy in which she wins Best Leading Actress in 1975. Then two years later, she plays my favorite character, Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. Uh, Of course. She famously shows up to day one of rehearsal performance ready with Worst Pies in London. And it, if, it is on YouTube. Look it up. It is a great performance that she gives. Um, she wins, again, for Best Leading Actress. I'm telling you, Angela Lansbury is Broadway gold. Then, in 19... Oh, and then after that, she does... Uh, she's uh, Murder, She Wrote. She has Jessica Fletcher, which is a different podcast. I love, I love, I love Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> um, then, in 1993, she voices Mrs. Potts for Beauty and the Beast. That's where almost all of us, I would imagine, first learned of her. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then, for me, my favorite, my favorite version of Angela Lansbury is Angela Lansbury and the revival of Little Night Music, two thousand and nine. And you know I have a clip queued up, so I'm gonna play. What once was a rare champagne is now just an amiable hook. What once was a villa at least is Dick's. What once was a gown with train is now just a simple little frock. What once was a sumptuous feast is figs, not even figs, raisins, raisins. <laughs> Where was I? Where was I? Oh yes. The most of the, uh, the rest of the uh, things that are great about this are visuals. So you're gonna have to just did she look this up? Did she say raisins and then raisins? Raisins? <laughs> yes. Raisins? Oh, okay. Liaisons. Right. I this to me is like my favorite version of Angela Lansbury. Like a fine wine, better with age. Oh, she's so and bad. this has been my TED talk on Angela Lansbury. Obviously, there is much more, but Josh edited it all out. This was a 45 minute. <laughs> Lesson. And that's Angela Lansbury. Thank you for indulging me. Oh, of Heck course. Yeah. Very good. She's, uh, she's the best. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, what do we want to talk about next time? Whose turn is it? I would love... Has everyone done two? I've, mm-hmm. yeah. I've only done one. John, you've done London one. London okay. Road. What's your suggestion? Right? Yeah, John, you were London Road. And uh, all right, what's your, what's your follow-up? Um, I want us to go a bit old school, but still fun. 1993 Gypsy. Oh, with awesome! 1993. Is that a movie? It is a movie. It is on. It is a movie. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube for free. This will be a first for me. I'm excited. Yeah, I I know Gypsy. This I know some songs, obviously. Uh, Bette Midler, yas. Obviously, it has a lot of great little BSA cameos that I can't wait to talk about. And I think it's just, it's, this is literally like a musical to me that is just like quintessential, like strong leading woman that just like belts and is so powerful. And there are so many different versions of this musical and all of them are great in their own right. And this movie is no exception. Let's do it. So excited. Good suggestion, John. So excited for this. Have not seen it. Oh, Jules just left. She didn't like that suggestion. She's she, out. She quit. So 
We'll be just the five of us next week. Uh, <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe we'll get a replacement for Jules. Who knows? Hey, it's, it, there are a lot of things going to happen in a week, you know? Yeah. yeah. Join us next week to find out. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. 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 Oh, I got back just in time to say goodbye. <laughs> no, we already ended. We all said goodbye. We, we made a bit out of you leaving. It's going to be great. It'll be really fun to it. Let's do it, it, it on the podcast. Is it as good as Sam's uh, impression of Josh? No. my solid Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can keep up to date with us by going to thicketandthistle.org. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on your social media app of choice. We are pretty easy to find. 